You are listening to the Wickenburg Pulpit, the preaching ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Wickenburg, Arizona, where we seek to be faithful to Scripture and relevant to life. Let's go to Lord in prayer before we begin. Father, we come before you. And we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you the, that we have sung the gospel. We have sung the truth that you are our only hope in life and death. Because of what you've done on the cross and what you've done in your resurrection. Lord, we thank you for saving us. Lord, as we begin to dig in your word here in Galatians, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that you would use me to proclaim your word so that our lives would be changed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I appreciate your patience today. I am dealing either with desert allergies or a sinus infection, and so we're, we're getting there. Um, but uh, as you can tell, I'm a little nasally this morning, but we will get through this. So um, I've got a confession to make. I've got a bad habit of getting annoying children's songs stuck in my head. And growing up, it was the song... You probably know this one. This is the song that never ends. Anybody knows that one? You know, I'm not going to do that or else we'll be here all day because it never ends. Um, more recently, it's been the song Baby Shark. Anybody know that one? All right, of course you do. It gets, you're, it's stuck in your head already. And you're singing do, 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 do. You're going to be doing that the entire sermon now. But there's another one that has been stuck in my head all week long, and it's actually a Christian uh, kid's song. The song goes like this, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. I heard some folks uh, joining with me, and I'm glad you didn't sing it, but um, it's a catchy tune, and it gets stuck in your head, and it's been stuck in my head all week long, but it actually has really good theology. In the song, the believer is saying, I am a son of Abraham. Now, this is emphasized in the text today in Galatians 3, verses 6 through 9, and also in texts like Romans 4. And so we must ask, how does one become a son of Abraham? What what does this mean? We're going to answer that question in the sermon today. Uh, Now, this text is a continuation of the previous passage there in chapter 3. And Paul is driving home the fact that we are saved by faith alone, and he drove that home with a series of questions last week that we saw in verses 1 through 5, and he's continuing to drive that home by looking at God's covenant with Abraham, his covenant with Moses, and his covenant with us through Christ, and we'll see those in the next couple of sermons. But today, we're looking at God's covenant with Abraham, and to see that we are counted righteous by faith, and so was Abraham, and so... Um, I'm going to read the text and then we will dive in. So beginning in verse 6, it says this, Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. The first point I want us to make here is that through faith, God declares us to be righteous. 
through faith, God declares us to be righteous. Now, to prove that we are saved by hearing with faith is what he, Paul was talking about last week. Paul, Paul moves into this verse 6 to show Abraham as an example. Now, this is significant because Abraham, he's the first patriarch, the father of Isaac, who fathered Jacob, who became Israel, whose 12 sons make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham was also the first man to be circumcised, the very thing the Judaizers said you had to do if you really wanted to be saved. The Judaizers would want to use Abraham as an example, but Paul does here. Paul uses him as an example of faith. And Galatians 6 verse 1 here, it says, or verse, uh, Galatians, uh, sorry, Galatians 3 Verse 6 here says, even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so he's actually quoting Genesis 15, verse 6. So I want us to turn in our Bibles, if you will, to Genesis 15 real quick. I'm going to allow you to get there. We're going to be in a lot of passages of Scripture today. Uh, but I want us to get the context here of what's going on. And so he quotes Genesis 15, 6. And in order to do that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to look at it a little bit here. Now, verse 1 in chapter 15, as you're turning there, I'm going to start reading. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. His name wasn't Abraham yet. His name got changed later on. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That's verse 2. Now, Going back to Genesis chapter 12, God had promised Abraham that he's going to give him a land, and he's going to give him descendants, and he's going to make him a great nation. Um, and so here he is, has this promise, I'm going to make you a great nation, and he doesn't even have a kid. He's getting old. And so Abraham says, since you have given me no offspring to me, then one who was born in my house will be my heir. This is what God promises to Abraham. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars, and if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. He promised Abraham that one would come from his own body. He would have a, a legitimate son, and then that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And then verse 6 here. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed in the Lord, and it reckoned to him as righteousness. So it says that he believed. What, what, what was it that he believed? He had trusted in God's promises. He had believed in God's promise that he would one day have a son. And on the basis of this faith and trust in God's promises, he was credited with a righteousness that was not his own. He was declared to be righteous on the basis of faith. Now what's interesting next in Genesis 15 is that he also promised Abraham a land. And Abraham asked, well, how is it that I'm going to possess this land? He asked this question in verse 8. And then in verse 9, God answers, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite to the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram 
And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. He's prophesying about uh, their enslavement in Egypt. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried in good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. And on this day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so it's interesting here what's going on here. So the Lord asked him to bring an offering. He cuts the offering in pieces in half, the animals in half, a deep sleep falls upon him, and then God begins to speak what, his, what he's going to give Abraham and what his promises are, and he makes this covenant with him. Verse 17 mentions a smoking oven and a flaming torch passing between the pieces. What on earth does this mean? When people would make a covenant together with one another in those days, it would start the same way. The animals would be cut in two, put on opposite sides of each other, and both parties would walk between them as a sign of their commitment to the covenantal promises that they've made with one another. Here, this flaming torch is a symbol of God, and, and, and it's, it's the flaming torch that's passing through the pieces. In Genesis 15, what's Abram doing? Anybody, know what it, anybody remember what it said? He's sleeping. <laughs> He's not walking between pieces. Only God is walking between the pieces. This flaming torch is a, is a symbol of God alone entering into covenant with Abram. This, is demonstrated, this demonstrates that God's covenant with Abram is by grace alone. God had established this covenant. God would give Abram the land. God would give descendants. God would give him this child. This was nothing Abraham did. This was all of grace, and Abraham trusted in God's covenantal promises. And on the basis of this faith alone, God declared him to be righteous. Now, this book of Galatians has been about teaching us this doctrine that we are declared righteous by faith alone in Christ. And this doctrine should be a great comfort to our souls. Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, says this, The holiest people alive still do not have a full and continual joy in God, but have various passions, as the scripture witnesses of the prophets of the, and the apostles. But such faults are not blamed on them, because of their faith in Christ, otherwise nobody could be saved. He continues, Because of this faith in Christ, God does not see my doubting of his goodwill toward me, my distrust, my heaviness in spirit, and other sins that are still in me. As long as I live bodily, sin is truly in me. But I am covered under the shadow of Christ's wings, as the chicken under the wing of the hen. I live without fear under the wide banner of the forgiveness of sins that is spread over me. Therefore, God covers and pardons the remnant of sin in me. That is, he accepts my imperfect righteousness as perfect righteousness and counts my sin as no sin, even though it is indeed sin. So we shroud ourselves under the covering of Christ's flesh. He is our pillar of cloud by day and our pillar of fire by night, lest God should see our sin. And although we see our sin and feel the terrors of conscience because of it, we fly to Christ as our mediator and reconciler. Through him we are made perfect, and we are thus sure and safe. 
This doctrine should be a great comfort because although we still struggle with sin and we feel it, and we ought to feel it and we ought to repent of it daily, we ought to and we ought to weep over our sin, but the believer has been credited with and covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Although we're not inherently righteous, our faith has been counted as righteousness because we have trusted in Christ alone. Just as in the days of the Passover, the, the home who had the blood on the doorpost was passed over and their eldest son was spared. Those who are covered with the blood of Jesus by faith have been given his righteousness and therefore we are safe. Justification does not take away our sin or practically make us holy, but positionally God sees us with Christ's robe of righteousness and declares us to be righteous on the basis of our faith. Take comfort in this truth, church. May we still fight sin daily and repent of it, confess it, and be sure that he has forgiven it and he has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He has forgiven you in Christ and has covered you with his righteousness. Number two, we see here in this text, through faith we become a member of God's covenant family. In verse 7 here, it says, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. So this is where the song comes in that's been stuck in my head all week. Scripture says that we are sons of Abraham by faith. Now, the Judaizers would have had issue with this. They were Jewish. They believed in Jesus, but they also taught that you had to obey the Mosaic law in order to be saved. And more importantly, they believed that they were a part of the covenant community by birthright. They were biologically part of Abraham's line, but so was Paul. Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and Paul taught the same truth in the book of Romans in chapter 4. So, if you will, turn to Romans chapter 4 as well real quick here. We're going to look at this passage. Romans 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's quoting that same passage in Genesis 15, 6 here. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So we see that same truth being taught right here in Romans. Now skip down to verse 9 here. Is the blessing then, this blessing of this alien righteousness, this blessing of of Christ's righteousness being credited to us, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? That's a good question. For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Well, what this means is that Abraham wasn't circumcised yet. When you look at Genesis 15, when it says he believed and was credited to him as righteousness, he wasn't circumcised till later. So he wasn't declared righteous on, on the base, but declared righteous on the basis of circumcision, but by faith. Verse 11 here. 
he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. What it's saying here is that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. This was before he even received the symbol of circumcision. Abraham is proof that one is declared righteous apart from circumcision. Now this would have been eye-opening to the Judaizers. They would have taken issue with this, but that's the scriptures. Romans 4 says that circumcision was a symbol, a sign of that righteousness that was received how? By faith. So how do we become sons of Abraham? By getting circumcised and following the works of the law? Or do we become sons of Abraham by believing on Christ? And by faith, by believing in him. Ephesians 2 tells us that at one point we were not part of God's covenant family, but through the blood of Jesus and by faith in Christ and his work, we become sons of Abraham and we become a part of God's covenant family. Now, I want us to see here that we're justified by faith. We're not justified by works. We're not justified by biology. People who come from Abraham's bloodline can't can't bank on that in eternity. Romans 2 and 3 are clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your family tree won't get you to heaven. Your your best efforts at law-keeping won't get you to heaven. What Paul is saying in the book of Romans to these Jewish people is that they need a Savior. And we see... When we get into Romans again, you don't have to turn here. I'll turn there briefly here. When we look later on in, in Romans 9 and 10, Romans 9, he says this, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, According to the flesh. Who are Israelites. To whom belong the adoption as sons. And the glory and the covenants. And the giving of the law and the temple services. Whose are the fathers. And from whom is Christ. According to the flesh. Who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. But it is not though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel. Who are descended from Israel. Nor are they all children. Because they are Abraham's descendants. Saying, look, I have grief in my heart because my kinsmen, according to the flesh, my Israelites, they they don't know Christ. He says this in in chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
And Paul says, my heart breaks because my, my family doesn't know Christ. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Israelites, they don't know Jesus. They, they don't know the righteousness that can truly save, and I, I want them to be saved. And then he tells us later on in verses 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Even before the sermon's over this morning, here's the invitation. Believe in him. Believe on Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be given the righteousness of Christ. Confess that with your mouth and find salvation. Now to the believer in this room, I want you to hear the words of Paul in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Church, this morning, you are not just a son and daughter of Abraham. You are a son and daughter of God. You are a son and daughter of the king. And you've been adopted into his family. Now... <clears throat> November 6th, 2019, was probably one of the best days of my life. It's because I adopted the sweet girl here. Now, do you know what requirements that she had to meet before I would be willing to adopt her? Uh, that she had to have a certain uh, progress report on her preschool uh, Grade report, did she have to meet certain qualifications? Absolutely not. Absolutely zero. There was nothing that she could do to earn that, and there was nothing that she could do to make me second-guess that decision either. And God, in the same way, God has brought you into his covenant family by grace. There was nothing you did to earn that, and there's nothing that you can do to take that away. If you are believing in the Lord this morning, you are trusting in his sacrifice alone for salvation, then God has adopted you into his family and you've become a son and daughter of the king. What should our response be to that? Well, what does the song say that I sang earlier? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. What does it say after that? You know the song? Let's just praise the Lord. Uh, our response to being brought into God's family when, when we were running away from him should lead us to, to nothing but praise and glory to him who saved us. We've been made a part of his covenant family. Number three. The doctrine of justification by faith alone should give us a passion to share the gospel with the nations. 
this faith, it's not just for Abraham, and it's not just for the Galatians, it's not just for you and me, it's for the nations. And this has always been God's plan. We, we see this in the Great Commission, that we're to make disciples of all nations, but, but this was not some afterthought of God. This was God's plan from the beginning. Look at Gen, uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 8. It says, The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. This has been God's plan of salvation from the beginning. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Now, this is coming from Genesis chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. You've already turned to a lot of scriptures today. So um, I will read this really quick here. My Bible's a little lopsided right now. (laughs) Genesis 12. It says this, the Lord says to Abram, this was his calling to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is repeated, this, this being the, the nations of the earth and the families of the earth being blessed is repeated again in uh, chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, Genesis 22:18, and in, in Genesis 26, verse 4 with Isaac, and in Genesis 35, 9 through 12. What we see in this text right here is that God had a global purpose to justify sinners from all nations by faith. This was not plan B. This was not... God being like, well, Israel didn't do so hot, so now I'm going to make salvation available to everybody. No, we can see that before Abraham even had a son, before Abraham even left his home, that God had told them that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Paul says that this is the gospel. Now, how exactly... Will all the families of the earth be blessed for Abraham? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. How will all the families of the earth be blessed through Abraham? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. There's going to be a quiz on this at the end. Joram, the father of Uzziah. 
Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azer. Azer was the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. How are the nations going to be blessed in Abraham? It's because through Abraham we get who? We get Jesus. We get Jesus who, who died on the cross for our sins and saved us by faith. It is through Christ that we are blessed through Abraham. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in Abraham because God chose Abraham to bring us Jesus. The goal of the Bible from beginning to end was to use a man from Ur of the Chaldeans, ultimately to bring us Jesus who would save people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And the gospel is this, that through Christ, people from every nation can be justified by faith and be credited with the righteousness of Jesus. I love Revelation 7, 4 through 12. That I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing right robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and their four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What a glorious picture that is. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping the the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Church, how do we get here? We get to Revelation 7, 12 by proclaiming the unaltered gospel of Jesus Christ that rebellious sinners can become adopted sons by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And they can receive Christ's robe of righteousness and they can be declared righteous on the basis of faith. This is why doctrine is important. This is why we can't abandon the gospel. This is why we can't water it down, adjust it, or alter it. Without knowing how people are justified and proclaiming the good news of the gospel that we're declared righteous by faith, we would never get to Revelation 7. Church, do you want to see people from every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping the Lord for eternity? I know I do. 
then how do we do that? We've got to open our mouths and declare how they can be made right with a holy God. Namely, through the perfect obedience and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we share this gospel to the nations. May the justification by faith alone, this doctrine, may it give a passion to share that with the world. Number four, the justification by faith ought to lead us to radical obedience. And we're going to turn in another passage of scripture here in James chapter 2. It's interesting that I'm going to turn here because it, when you read James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it almost seems to undo everything that Paul has already said. In fact, theologians, even Martin Luther in a period of time, had a had problem reading James and reading this book because he struggled to see how they fit together. But I want us to look at this because James also quotes that very same passage in Genesis 15 that Paul does. He says this, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says, go, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And scripture was fulfilled which says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, pastor, you've been preaching this whole sermon series that we're justified by faith alone. What are you now just changing your mind? No, I'm not. And James isn't either. This is why people come to Scripture, they say, well, you see, the Bible's got contradictions. Well, we've got to understand what's going on here. And Paul makes the argument, well, first off, if we were to look at this and, and, and try to explain the difference, differences away here and say, well, maybe they're using a different word for justification. Well, they're not. They're using the same word. Uh, and so Paul makes the argument, both to the Romans and Galatians, that justification is by faith alone. James seems to argue that justification is by faith and works. What's going on here? Now in Galatians 3, 6 through 9, Paul cites Abraham as an example of justification by faith alone. And he cites Genesis 15 for this. James Cites Abraham as an example of justification by works, citing Genesis chapter 22. Now, that's the passage where he offers Isaac uh, up as a sacrifice. What we see here, though, is Paul and James are asking two very different questions. Paul is asking, how does a man who is not just, who is sinful, who has no merit in himself, 
become justified in the sight of God? His answer is clearly that justification is by faith alone. James is asking a different question. James asks, if a man says he has faith and does not have works, will his faith justify him? And what they are both saying, what they would both agree on, is that faith, that is a mere profession that is not manifested by deeds of obedience, is not true saving faith. Paul says that before Abraham did any works of obedience or obeyed any laws, Abraham was already justified by faith because he trusted in God's promise. He hadn't been circumcised yet, so he wasn't justified on the basis of circumcision. And the law of Moses didn't come until 430 years after he was declared to be righteous. I want us to think about these texts here in Genesis. In Genesis 12, 3, Through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He promises in Genesis 15 that a son would come from Abraham's bloodline. Later clarifying that it would be with Sarah, who they were advanced in years. After receiving God's promise, he, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He then is, uh, Abraham and Sarah have a son, they have Isaac, this is the son of promise. And then in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to go sacrifice him, to kill him. That seems a bit bizarre. Why would Abraham do that? Well, when we go to Hebrews eleven seventeen, it gives us the answer. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he, would and he who had received the promises was now offering his son. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham was able to be radically obedient to, to God's outrageous commands because he trusted in God's impeccable promises. Say that again. Abraham was able to be radically obedient to God's outrageous commands because he trusted in God's impeccable promises. Here, God was asking him to do the unthinkable. Sacrifice the son that I promised would be your heir that would bring these descendants to you. Sacrifice him and kill him. And Abraham was able to go to that altar, was holding the knife, and was about to do that. He was able to, to carry that out because he, by faith he trusted in God. He believed that God would raise him from the dead. Thankfully, God spared his life and provided a ram in his son's place, which has a lot of other theological implications that we won't get into today. Abraham believed that if God was asking him to kill his son, that's because God was going to raise him from the dead. Abraham didn't think it was bizarre. Abraham had confident faith in the promises of God. And church, we have that promise fulfilled. The promise to bless the nations through Abraham, the promise of an heir was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Abraham trusted in the future fulfillment of these promises, and those promises have, have been fulfilled, and we are to rest in them. We are to trust in them because his promises have not failed. 
if we're trusting in the promises of the gospel, if we have genuine faith, then that, that calls us to radical obedience and the outrageous commands of God because his promises are impeccable. Church, how are you living in radical obedience to the one who's made you righteous by faith? If you believe, God is going to call you to do some things that seem bizarre. He called Abraham to leave his home. He called Abraham to sacrifice his only son, and he was able to be radically obedient to that because he had confident trust in the impeccable promises of God. If we have faith, we too will live in radical obedience. It will be manifested in the way that we live our lives. It will be manifested in the things that we do. Number five, and we'll be through. Here's an invitation. Experience the blessing promised to Abraham by responding in repentance and faith to the gospel. The final verse says here, in verse nine, so then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. What was Abraham blessed with when he believed? Righteousness. A righteousness that was not his own. When Paul quotes, and when Moses writes that all the nations of the earth will be blessed, it is to say that the righteousness of Jesus is freely given to those who believe, and we are counted righteous before God by hearing and believing in the promises of the gospel. Therefore, just as Abraham was credited with righteousness by believing when he heard and received the promise, so also we who believe, if you believe in Christ, you will be blessed as well and be credited with this righteousness when you believe. The invitation is simple. Repent from your sin. In other words, recognize your sin nature, turn from it, and turn to God in genuine faith. If you were here today, what was true of Abraham when he trusted in God's promise? which was the unfolding plan of God to redeem broken sinners through Jesus, you too can trust in the promise that has been fulfilled. Place all of your hope in Jesus today and receive this blessing of Abraham, which is to be counted righteous on the basis of faith alone. When we believe the gospel, we are declared to be right with God, not on the basis of our own weak attempts at obedience, but on the perfect obedience of Christ and his righteousness credited us. Now here's a few final thoughts. To the unbeliever here today, the invitation is clear. Believe in him. Believe in him. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ so that you can receive his righteousness and be declared right with God on the basis of faith. To the believer in this room, if you believe that all nations can be justified by faith and be blessed with the righteousness of Christ, then we must regularly share the gospel Share it passionately, share it compassionately with full conviction and dependence on the Spirit. To our church, as your pastor, I want us to be known for two things. Number one, an unwavering commitment to the doctrines of the gospel. We will not water it down, we will not alter it, we will not adjust it, we will proclaim the whole gospel without apology. Second, an unwavering commitment to share the gospel. If we believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation, then as a church we must not hoard the gospel, but we must get outside the walls and share it with those who are not believing in Jesus, both here in Wickenburg and around the world. We will proclaim the whole gospel to the whole world without distinction. 
Every nation, tribe, and tongue will be blessed. And that happens when we're committed to God's plan for us. This great commission to make disciples of all nations. So that God may redeem people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And declare them righteous by faith. And that they too may experience this blessing, this promised, this blessing that was promised to Abraham. Let's pray.